Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. Join Wondery Plus to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. A note to listeners, this episode contains adult content and language. It's 1967 in Miami, Florida. More than a thousand Kentucky Fried Chicken managers packed the city convention center for their first annual meeting. It's an exuberant crowd. A year ago, the new owners took the company public and 21 employee stockholders became instant millionaires. But the new owner, John Brown Jr., sits at the speaker's table, holding his aching head in his hands. He's nursing a hangover. Brown is 34 and a handsome playboy from one of Kentucky's most powerful political families. Harlan Sanders enters the hall. The 72-year-old walks to the stage dressed in all black. Brown turns to his co-owner sitting next to him. Where's his white suit? He always wears the colonel outfit. Oh, geez, I think we're in trouble. Since he sold the company two years ago, Sanders has been its quality control guru and brand ambassador. He takes a seat at the table, and Brown stands up to introduce him. Gentlemen, let's begin now with someone who needs no introduction. Colonel Harlan Sanders. Howdy, folks. I was told by our new management to keep my remarks brief. Sanders pauses and turns to the executive sharing the speaker's table with him. Well, you slick son of a bitches can shove it because I'm going to talk for as long as it takes to tell everybody what swindling jackasses you are. The exec next to Brown stands up to protest, but Brown grabs his arms and pulls him back down into his chair. Damn it, Bob, these people worship the colonel. We're just going to have to let the old guy speak his mind. The colonel turns back to address the franchisees. Don't you see quality is nosedive since these bastards took over? They haven't even set up a pension plan for you all, and they moved our headquarters to Nashville. This ain't no goddamn Tennessee fried chicken. And on top of everything, I heard some bastard in marketing wants to take me off the TV ads. The audience sits in stunned silence as Sanders rants for 40 minutes about their corporate sins, real or imagined. But his real beef is that he opted for a cash settlement instead of shares when he sold the company. Even though it was his decision, he feels cheated and betrayed. Beads of cold sweat trickle down Brown's back. If the franchisees take Sanders' side, the company is shot. Brown scans the notes he wrote on a napkin at 5 a.m. after an all-night poker game. They're useless now. He crumples them in his hand and stands up to face the agitated crowd. Folks, you know the Colonel is an artist, and like all artists, he's a perfectionist. Now, Colonel, we've honored every deal you made with these folks here. We haven't had a single lawsuit. McDonald's has had 30 of them. If anyone here feels they've been treated unfairly, then raise your hand. We want to hear about it. Brown pauses and scans the crowd. 
not a single hand goes up. The franchisees are making good money after the company's huge IPO. They figure the colonel's having a hard time letting go of his baby. Brown turns back to Sanders. Colonel, do you see that? There's no mutiny here. You'll always be the face of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Every time you go on television, sales jump by 10%. Sanders sits in stony silence. The next day, he regrets his outburst, like he always does. At lunch, Sanders pulls Brown aside and tells him he did good by settling the troops. But this is just a momentary truce. The war between Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken will flare up frequently in the Colonel's last decade, just as rivals Chick-fil-A and Popeyes are gearing up to challenge the one-time king of fried chicken. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In the last episode, an elderly Sanders pivoted to franchising his secret recipe, then sold the company to investors with little experience in the food business. Now, Sanders' face is on every Kentucky Fried Chicken sign, bucket, and billboard. But he fears that quality is suffering, and time is running out for him to right the ship. Meanwhile, in Atlanta, Truett Cathy is staking out a new battleground, the mall. This is episode four, The Hen House Heats Up. It's 1967 in the Greenbrier Shopping Mall, Atlanta, the city's first shopping arcade. Truett Cathy leans against the counter in his sister Gladys's cluttered gift shop, chock full of stuffed animals and figurines. 18 years ago, Two of Truett's brothers, including his partner Ben, died in a plane crash. Ever since, he's made a point of spending lots of time with his four remaining siblings. He taps his watch. Glass, darling, it's lunchtime and I'm starving. Is there any place around here for a quick bite? I could pick something up for you. But Gladys shakes her head. 
It's a wasteland here. There's just the coffee shop over at Woolworth's and the fancy-schmancy magnolia room at Rich's department store. Honestly true. Why don't you open one of your chicken sandwich places here? Then I could eat for free. Hmm, I don't know. Starting a second whole restaurant is a lot to take on. True, it's busy. He still runs the Dwarf House, but spends most of his time marketing his new Chick-fil-A sandwich to other restaurants. He sells a breading mix to owners, teaches their staff how to cook the chicken and prepare the sandwich, and receives royalties on sales. Gladys picks up a roll of quarters, breaks it open, and drops the coins into their slot. I'm just saying, this wouldn't be such a big production. Just a little storefront takeout operation. It would be a breeze. Truitt nods. He's 46, and in the past decade, he's survived colon surgery, rebuilt a restaurant that burned to the ground, and started a franchise. He's no quitter, but he's tired. Still, if he doesn't start selling fried chicken in shopping centers, he's darn sure Kentucky Fried Chicken will. Three months later, in the Dwarf House restaurant in Hapeville, Truett stands in the corner of the banquet room and hands the end of a tape measure to his kitchen designer. Empty cardboard boxes lie scattered on the floor. Jimmy, could you hold that in for me, please? He pushes a box out of the way and walks 13 feet along the wall. Then he takes a pencil out of his pocket and makes a small X. Good. Now come over here. The new space in the mall is exactly 13 feet by 30. So let's mark that off, and then we can start cutting up these boxes. Truett's leased a tiny space in the mall near his sister's gift shop for his chicken shop. He and Jimmy cut up boxes as stand-in ovens, counters, and a fridge, and try out different configurations. First, they put the Henny Penny Fryer out of sight in the back of the restaurant. Truett stands in front of the cardboard counter and considers the layout. Well, what do you think, Jimmy? Should we arrange it more like McDonald's? They do all the cooking in the front of the store so customers can see it. It's like a show. Yeah, if we put it where shoppers can see it from the walkway, they'll be drawn into the store. And we could add a slanted rooftop facade and red shingles like the dwarf house. And a red and white color scheme inside, you know, to give it a picnic vibe. Six months later, his wife and their three teenage kids meet him at the mall to help out on opening day. Behind the counter, Truett hands his wife a Chick-fil-A apron. Honey, can you believe it only costs $17,000 to put this chicken stand together? It costs $100,000 to build a restaurant from the ground up. You know, I think shopping centers are the way to go with this whole franchising business. Truett's wife pats his arm. True, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's see how this place does first. And it does gangbusters. In its first year, the new store generates almost $200,000 in sales. Truett gives out free samples, and mall denizens follow the crumbs right into the store. He prints up thousands of business cards and hands them out to everyone, inviting folks in for a free sandwich. It's 1969 in Atlanta. Truett and his kitchen designer, Jimmy, walk into the offices of the development group Rouse Company. They're building a new mall on the north side of the city. It's the third time Truett's come asking to lease space for a new Chick-fil-A. A Rouse guy on his way out the door sees them first. Well, surprise, surprise, here comes Chicken Little again. Truett and Jimmy ignore the dig. They've been traveling the country meeting with developers and they're used to resistance. 
There are very few restaurants in these new malls, and almost no fast food franchises like McDonald's. Yet. The regional director waves them over to his desk. He's a burly guy from the East Coast. A cigarette dangles from his lip. You two again. Have a seat. But I don't know what else you can say to change my mind on this. Truett and Jimmy sit down. Truett takes the lead. John, humor me. What's your big objection again to us setting up shop in your new mall? The developer leans back in his chair. Well, like I said, we don't want takeout stores like yours stinking up the place. You know, leaving trash everywhere and chicken bones on the floor, that sort of thing. Jimmy sees an opening there. Now, just to be clear, our chicken breasts do not have bones. That's why they're called boneless. Still, Rouse doesn't budge. But Truett and Jimmy don't give up. One month later, in the Rouse offices in Atlanta, the regional director picks up a postcard from the pile of mail on his desk and chuckles. The photo is of a Chick-fil-A restaurant. He gets up and takes it to the marketing director's office next door. Oh, and get a load of these chicken guys. Real southern church-going types. They've sent me a postcard to their restaurant every single day for the last month. Back in Jersey, when a guy wants something, they send teamsters to break your legs. His assistant glances at the postcard. You know, I go there every week on my wife's bridge night and get takeout for the kids. (laughs) Those sandwiches are out of this world. The developer closes his files for the day and heads out the door. May I have your order, sir? Uh, Yeah, can I have a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Hell, make it two. That night, the developer calls Truett. Okay, Truett, you win. We're ready to make a deal. Postcard by postcard, Truett Cathy grows his Chick-fil-A empire. In just a few years, he opens two dozen stores in shopping centers across a handful of states. And luckily for them, more established franchises like Kentucky Fried Chicken don't think to slap chicken into a bun or set up shop in a mall. But a new player in New Orleans is gearing up to enter the high-stakes fried chicken game, and he's got a Cajun card to play. It's 1970 in New Orleans. Al Copeland steps outside his 24-hour Tasty Donut franchise to get a breath of grease-free fresh air. He's 26 years old and a high school dropout. He grew up poor in one of the city's toughest housing projects and used to cut school rather than showing up in duct tape sneakers. He looks down the street and sees a line of people coming out the door of the new Kentucky Fried Chicken shop. Al walks back into his store and sits down at a sticky orange table across from his brother, Gil. Gil's ten years older and owns a string of these tasty donut stores. Gil picks up a glazed cruller and takes a bite. You know, Al, you'd have more customers if you cleaned the oil in your fryer once in a while. Thanks for the hot tip, smartass. Hey, have you noticed how popular that Kentucky Fried Chicken place is? It's only open six hours a day and they're mobbed the whole time. I bet they make twice as much as us, and we're open every goddamn minute. His brother raises an eyebrow. He gave this tasty donut store to Al as a wedding present. Look, Al, all I know is donuts. But Al has caught a glimpse of the future. You know what, Gil? 
Thanks for helping me get on my feet. But screw this. I gotta get into fried chicken. And the next year, he does. He sells his donut franchise and opens a takeout chicken place in Araby, Louisiana, a New Orleans suburb. It's called Chicken on the Run, and the slogan is, so fast you get your chicken before you change. But it's more like customers get their chicken so fast they sometimes bring it back because it's not fully cooked yet. Copeland's breading is bland, and his chicken staff is sloppy. He loses 10 grand in seven months. And it seems like a new Kentucky Fried Chicken store pops up every week. The company has more than 3,000 stores and is expanding fast. That kind of success breeds a tsunami of imitators. Chicken Hut, Ozark Fried Chicken, Wife Saver Chicken, they're all trying to cash in on the fried chicken craze, just like him. Meanwhile, Copeland's debts are snowballing and his personal life is on the rocks. If he doesn't figure out this chicken problem soon, He's afraid he'll lose his house and his marriage. If you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role. There either aren't enough applicants with the right skills or experience or too many resumes to sort through. Hiring really can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Except, of course, when you're hiring over at ZipRecruiter.com BW. See, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Little wonder that over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com BW. One more time, that's ZipRecruiter.com BW. That's a link just for listeners of Business Wars, by the way. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, if you're a business owner, you don't need me to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. Why? Well, because NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. In fact, it's everything you need all in one place instantly. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, you'll save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now and let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com wars. Schedule that free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash wars. netsuite.com slash wars. It's 1972 in New Orleans. A spring storm batters Al Copeland's house. But inside, the mood is festive. 
Strings of party lights in the shape of hula dancers festoon the living room, and guests swarm a buffet table piled with plates of fried chicken and biscuits. Copeland takes it in, looking cool in a long shag haircut and aviator glasses. Al spots his brother Gil and snakes his way through the crowd. So Gil, what do you think of the chicken? Is this a winner or what? Al closed his restaurant six months ago and has been experimenting with new recipes ever since. He's desperate to nail down the perfect spice profile and open a new store. Gil furiously waves his hand in front of his open mouth. Honestly, my tongue is on fire. It's just the way I like it. But you gotta be nuts, Al. Takeout chicken is for families. What kid eats blazing hot Cajun chicken? Al crosses his arms, defiant. He'll show Gil. His nine-year-old son is baking brownies in the kitchen for dessert. Junior, get over here, son. The boy dodges between guests and skids to a stop in front of his dad. He's a ball of energy with a dusting of flour in his hair. You need something, Dad? Be honest. Do you like this chicken? Al Jr. idolizes his dad. But he doesn't like spicy food. He squirms and looks down at his feet. Um, it's, um, I don't know. It's kind of good. Gil pats his nephew on the back. It's okay, Junior. You're off the hook. Run along back to the kitchen. Relief floods the boy's face and he takes off. Jesus, Al, why are you putting the kid on the spot like that? This isn't a good idea. You're throwing away the chance I gave you to make a decent living with donuts. Al slams his beer down on the buffet table. Don't tell me how to parent my kid and stop acting like you know everything about business. Some Kentucky Fried Chicken franchisees are pulling in more than a million dollars a year. When's the last time you made that kind of dough, big shot? Al's near his breaking point. No one thinks the spicy chicken is the way to go, not even his wife. But he's determined to trust his gut. He stocks the restaurant and makes plans to open in one week. There's just one problem. He doesn't have a name. Six days later, in New Orleans, Copeland paces in his kitchen while his wife washes up after dinner. He's still stressing about the name. Honey, it needs a twist. Something that's unique that'll get people talking. His wife dries her hands, turns around, and leans against the sink. Jesus, Al, you've been going round and round on this for weeks. Maybe a break from work would do you good. Jog your brain. I'm dying to go out. To dinner, the movies, anything. Things have been rocky with his wife lately. Copeland takes the dish towel out of her hands and tosses it on the counter. Yeah, you're probably right. Let's get out of here. They drive to their local theater and arrive just in time to catch the 8 o'clock show of The French Connection. And from the opening credits, Copeland is hooked on the story of Popeye Doyle, the badass cop with a chip on his shoulder. About a half hour in, the detective makes a big bust. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the bar and get on the wall. Copeland jolts upright in his seat. He feels his heart pounding. It's like he's looking at himself up on the screen. He's a tough guy, just like Popeye. He's addicted to fast cars, fast boats, and he hits hard. Copeland grasps his wife's arm. I've thought of a name. I I I gotta go make a call. He races out to the lobby and runs straight to a payphone. He calls the guy who makes his signs. 
Dave, it's Al. I've got a name. It's Popeye's Mighty Good Fried Chicken. That's spelled P-O-P-E-Y-E-S. No, not like the cartoon. It's from a movie. Oh, forget it. Just make the sign. Copeland is so excited, he forgets to include the apostrophe. Most people do think it's the cartoon character and wonder why the new chicken place doesn't serve spinach. But customers swoon over the chicken. In food-obsessed New Orleans, word about Popeyes spreads fast. Soon, Copeland opens a new Popeyes in Baton Rouge. Then, he starts selling franchises. By 1976, he has 32 locations nationwide. But Popeyes is still trailing Truett Cathy's Chick-fil-A, which now has more than 70 restaurants. And the chain is growing fast, largely due to Cathy's generous franchise agreement. No upfront fee or capital investment, and a 50-50 split of net profit. Meanwhile, Kentucky Fried Chicken is stumbling. Two of the new management's experiments, Kentucky Roast Beef and Colonel Sanders Inns, fail within a year of launch. And quality is slipping, too. There's little time left for missteps, because competitors are closing in. In the next episode, Kentucky Fried Chicken franchisees stage a revolt against new owners, and Al Copeland launches a 1980s corporate raid just as a recession guts the malls and threatens to kill Chick-fil-A before it takes flight. From Wondering, this is Episode 4 of KFC vs. Chick-fil-A for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad-free. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. We use many sources when researching our stories, but we especially recommend Josh Ozersky's Colonel Sanders and the American Dream and Secret Recipe by Robert Darden. I'm your host, David Brown. Barbara Bogave wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Michelle Phillippe. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, 
join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.